0: An accurate perspective on Jesus depends on an accurate answer to Jesus's question. Would you please take your Bibles and turn along with me to John chapter 12 as we read the Gospel of John's account of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We'll begin reading at verse 12, John 12 verses 12 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. The next day... So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would open your word to us this morning. That you would grant me faithfulness and clarity as we consider this passage before us. That you would open our hearts, O Holy Spirit to hear your word and spirit apply your word to our hearts and conform us to it we pray in Jesus name amen you may be seated <clears throat> have you ever had a particular perspective that after thinking about it maybe after considering it you decided and determined that this perspective was either wrong or insufficient maybe it was a perspective that is rooted in anger. I remember back many years ago in my seminary days as I was a full-time student and working and Renee was working, I had the perspective that surely the pastorate would not be as demanding as being in seminary. After 30 plus years of ministry, my perspective now on my perspective then, is that I could not have been more inaccurate. Today, we come to this passage of Scripture, and we consider the perspectives on Jesus as He entered into Jerusalem. Perspective of the crowd, perspective of the disciples, and the perspective of the Pharisees. Jesus entered Jerusalem that Sunday before he would go to the cross and be crucified on Friday. And as we look at these perspectives, we want to consider three things that we find in this text. The sign, the entrance, and the question. Look on page 7 of your bulletin and you'll find these three points. First, Jesus' sign. So, John describes Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the tomb at Bethany as a sign. Look at verse 18 of chapter 12. And so as we consider this sign that points back to chapter 11, I think it'll be helpful for us just to summarize chapter 11. You may remember Martha and Mary sent Word to Jesus about Lazarus, and this was the word Him whom you love is ill. That's chapter 11 and verse 3. And when our Lord heard this about Lazarus, he told his disciples that Lazarus's illness would not lead to his death, but Jesus said, It will lead to my glory, and that it did. And so what would you do when you hear that a friend is ill and and you're being summoned to come? Jesus delayed two days. By the time Jesus and company had finally arrived at Bethany, and the disciples tried to keep Jesus from going to Bethany because they knew the Pharisees, the Jews, were out to get him. But by the time they got to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. And that little factoid is to cause us to understand Lazarus was dead. Martha went out to meet Jesus. Very familiar words in verse 21 of chapter 11. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus responded, your brother will rise again, verse 23. And of course, the text tells us in verse 24 that Martha understood Jesus saying that in the last day the end of time when Jesus comes back a second time that Lazarus will be caught up in that general resurrection which is true but Jesus responded by asserting that he was the resurrection and the life and then he asked Martha this question in chapter 11 verse 26 do you believe this Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And Martha's answer was absolutely correct. Should be the should be our answer, by the way, as we consider Jesus and belief in him. You may recall that, that Martha answered in verse 39, Jesus, I, I believe that you are the Christ, you are Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world and then Jesus encounters Mary who comes out with those who had come from Jerusalem the Jews who had come from Jerusalem to comfort these two sisters on the loss of their brother and and you may remember that as as Mary and those came out weeping Jesus wept the shortest verse in the scriptures Jesus wept and then full of compassion and emotion deeply moved, our Lord went to the tomb of Lazarus and commanded that the stone that sealed it be taken away. And Jesus said, verse 43, Lazarus come out. And then John says in verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus had freed Lazarus from physical death and restored him to physical life, a new lease on life, a new quality of life. And then some who had come to comfort Martha and Mary believed in Jesus. Verse 45, others witnessed this miracle. And what did they do? They ran to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, and they reported this event Uh, to them of course we read in chapter 11 verses 46 and following that this just simply incited the pharisees even more to kill jesus and there was a plot there had been a plot now an intensified plot to actually kill jesus jesus retreated to ephraim and then six days later before passover he returns to bethany He attends a dinner with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jews in Jerusalem find out about this dinner, and so they go to see Jesus and Lazarus. The Pharisees learn about this dinner, and they not only renew their plot to kill Jesus, but they add Lazarus into the plot to kill him as well. John chapter 12 and verse 11, we read, that the, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders plotted to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus because on account of him, that is on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The sign of Lazarus being raised from the tomb that we've just summarized really has two purposes. First, raising Lazarus from the tomb is the conclusive sign the final, the ultimate sign that indeed Jesus is Messiah. Jesus gave Lazarus a new lease on life, new spiritual life. The text says born again, John chapter 3. A life that will last into eternity. Jesus disclosed how he will do this. He said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And what we must understand here is Jesus is not merely the cause of the resurrection. The text says he is the resurrection. He is the life because of his resurrection on that first Easter Sunday morning. I think... Peter says it so well and so helpful in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An accurate perspective on Jesus depends on an accurate answer to Jesus's question concerning being the resurrection and the life, concerning being the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. John eleven twenty six. 26, Jesus said, do you believe this? He said that to Martha. He says that to you and me today. Do you believe this? And Martha replied in verse 27, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. The sign shows forth Jesus as the resurrection of the life Messiah, but the sign functions another way. It served as the reason for the crowd's inaccurate perspective on Jesus. It serves as a reason for the disciples' insufficient perspective on Jesus. And it actually deepened the Pharisees' incited perspective on Jesus. The Lazarus miracle was the final act that that deepened the Jews' resolve to kill Jesus. But it was we must remember for that very purpose that Jesus came to Jerusalem it was to go to the cross Jesus came into the world to die now let's turn into your uh, to your bibles to to chapter 12 and verse 12 that we read earlier as we consider, secondly, Jesus' entrance into the city. The text tells us that it was the day after, the day after what? The day after that dinner where Mary, Martha, Jesus, and Lazarus dined together, and the Pharisees learned about it and plotted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. And as Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, as he comes from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley up To and through the gates into the great city of Jerusalem. We find three groups of people listed in this text, and we find three perspectives on Jesus. Let's first look at an inaccurate perspective, a flawed perspective. The large crowd that gathered in Jerusalem, the text tells us, was for the feast. And they had learned that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Now, of course, the feast that is mentioned here or is referenced here is the Feast of Passover, one of the three feasts in Israel where it was to be observed in Jerusalem. And so there are people that traveled from afar to come to Jerusalem. Josephus, the first century historian, actually reported a census that was taken at one of these Passover feasts in Jerusalem. And Josephus states that there were upwards of 2.7 million Jews that had traveled to Jerusalem for that particular Passover celebration. Now, the city of Jerusalem might be great, but it's not that big. There were a lot of people there, and so scholars say, well, Josephus is just, those were inflated numbers. Not that we would ever inflate numbers, but even if it was 25% wrong, even if it was half wrong, there was a large number of people in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday that welcomed Jesus into the city, a vast crowd. Many of the Jews had come from Galilee. Of course, Jesus ministered in Galilee, and many of them were probably well familiar with Jesus and his miracles. They were likely there. Others had heard of what Jesus did in Bethany, raising Lazarus from the dead, and so there were eyewitnesses. Look at verses 17 and 18 of John 12. There was a smaller crowd, large crowd, smaller crowd. The smaller crowd had witnessed this miracle in Bethany and they had been, the text says, bearing witness to it in Jerusalem as this multitude had come into the city to observe Passover. Thus John gives the reason in verse 18 why so many people turned out on that Palm Sunday. It was that sign that they either saw or heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So what was the perspective of the crowd, given they came out because of this sign? Well, that's a tricky thing to answer, isn't it? Because there were likely a number of perspectives represented in that crowd. Let me just suggest a few. Likely some represented an accurate perspective, some represented a perspective like Martha, who answered, yes, I believe you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. There were probably some, most likely some, who had an accurate perspective or as accurate a perspective as one might have given that stage of Jesus's ministry on earth. And I would suggest to you that there were probably Uh, those in the crowd maybe the bulk of the crowd the majority of the crowd that had an inaccurate perspective some probably had a a vague understanding of who Jesus was and but likely and you know what it's like when you're in a crowd what's the natural thing to do you just start following what the crowd does right and so I'm sure there were those who like hey Something exciting is happening, and they just join in, waving palm branches and shouting hosanna had no idea what they were doing. There were likely some like that in that crowd. I, I can't help but think that there were some in that crowd that were probably there strictly for entertainment value. Hey, they heard about Jesus doing this really cool miracle in Bethany. You don't see that every day. Maybe he'll do something even greater, and so they were part of that crowd waving the palm branches and singing hosanna saying oh please do something spectacular jesus we want to be wow today and then i think there were those who were there and this this might might actually be most of those who were there that were genuinely waving those palm branches that were genuinely shouting hosanna but their perspective was that Jesus was coming to resurrect Israel as a great nation. Hey, if he can raise that guy Lazarus from the tomb, surely he can make Israel a great nation. A great nation like it was under King David. So let's look at how they welcomed Jesus. Jesus. Waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, verse 13. Now, we read Psalm 118 and 25 and 26 as our profession of faith, and if you read that, you'll notice that Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, it does not include the phrase King of Israel. That was added by the crowd. Interesting but instructive. So palm branches were typically used when kings or generals were coming in this victorious processional after a great victory over an enemy. The palm branch became known as as Rick Phillips says in his commentary, a symbol of Jewish nationalism. The acclamation Hosanna as we've said, was taken from Psalm 118, a Messianic Psalm, a a processional Psalm that was often sung by the Israelites as as they came to the observance of Passover. It celebrated God's deliverance of his people. Hosanna literally means what is said in Psalm 118 verse 25. Save now, we beseech thee. That's what Hosanna means. And that's what they were acclaiming on that first Palm Sunday. So what do they add, the king of Israel? Because I think that was their perspective on Jesus. That, he, that, the, that the crowd was hoping for a great king, a temporal king, who would, would come. And defeat Israel's enemies as in the days of King David and make Israel yet again a prominent and great nation. Their perspective was inaccurate because their perspective was largely nationalistic. It was a misunderstanding of the miracle at Bethany. It was an inaccurate answer (laughs) to the question That Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Yes, we believe that you are the king that's going to come and make Israel great. Evidence to support this, we don't have to go any further than five days after Palm Sunday, there was another crowd. Do you remember this crowd? The crowd on Palm Sunday said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as Jesus was standing trial and being accused and being sentenced to death, what did the crowd crowd cry? Crucify him? Because their expectation of a temporal and great king to make Israel great had faded. Because who they thought was a king was going to be hung on a cross like a criminal. Their perspective of Jesus was inaccurate. But then let's look at the disciples. Their perspective of Jesus was insufficient. They, they lacked understanding. And when we know this, the, the Gospels tell us this. Jesus had already foretold his death numerous times. And in fact, just one example of Jesus foretelling his death. By the way, Jesus alludes to his death in in John chapter 11 with his disciples. And they didn't get it. And they didn't get the numerous times, at least three in Matthew and in Luke, where Jesus foretells of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 through 19, see... We are going up to Jerusalem, said Jesus, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. In chapter 11, we, we understand the disciples in many respects. They loved Jesus. He was their teacher. He was their master. They were his disciples and whatever level they could they 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 trusted him and believed in him as the one promised the one to come messiah though their understanding of jesus was was insufficient thus their perspective on jesus was insufficient go to jerusalem go to bethany are you kidding me jesus come on you are going to be caught and you are going to be tried, and you are going to be sentenced to death, and you are going to be put to death. We can't allow that to happen, Jesus. We want to protect you. And it is foolish for you to go to Jerusalem. Do you want to get yourself killed? And when we look at the sovereign purposes of God, the answer to that hypothetical question, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Do you want to get yourself killed? And the Bible screams, yes, that is why I came. He told them this throughout the Gospels, and they still did not get it. The very plan that God had ordained was to use the chief priest and the Pharisees as his instruments for Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. And only after the, the resurrection and the ascension did the disciples look back and go, "Oh." Now we get it. The text tells us this that they didn't understand it at the time, but then after some time, they were able to understand. Oh, that's why you entered Jerusalem so publicly, Jesus. That is why you submitted yourself to death on the cross, Jesus. That is why your body was put in the tomb. And that is why. On Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And we saw you ascend into heaven. That's what you came to do. And Jesus, we didn't get it at the time. Our perspective on you was insufficient. We thought you had to be something different. We wanted to craft and form you in our own image. But you had different plans, Jesus. Their belief at the moment was insufficient. But then there's another group, the last group, the Pharisees. Their perspective was an incensed perspective. They were angry, they were hostile towards Jesus. You you may remember the two old men sitting in the balcony looking down on whatever was going on below and making comment in the Muppet show. Do you remember those two old men, two crotchety old men? Well, think of the Pharisees. I suggest we, we look at the Pharisees as not being in the crown. Do you think they were waving palm branches and crying hosanna? no. But they were probably up on the wall of the temple. And they were looking at all of this celebration and whatnot going on. Like those two old men, they were giving analysis on it. And we're even told what what they said. The Pharisees and the Jews, the, the chief priests. And the Jewish elite had plotted to kill Jesus. Jesus, We see this in chapters 11 and 12. They perceived him to be a threat to Judaism. They perceived him to be a fake, a blasphemer. They were jealous of him. And in verse 19, they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. The world has gone after him. That's a bit of hyperbole there, right? But it just shows what was going on in the heart and the minds of these Pharisees. Here's how I understand what they said. We are gaining nothing by allowing this Jesus to live. We need to take him out before more people believe in him and do away with this nonsense. That's what I think they were saying to one another as they were bringing commentary on Jesus' triumphal entry from the balcony. Their solution to the problem, however, unbeknownst to them, unwittingly to them, I love this, their solution to the problem was actually the very plan of God. That's what we need to see here. In fact, I think this should be called not the triumphal entry, though, yeah, Jesus is king, we need to celebrate, but the public entry, because it was part of God's plan, part of Jesus' mission, to force the hands of the chief priest and the Pharisees. In other words, to push them so far that they were so mad, so upset, that there's no doubt they would seek to kill him, to fulfill the very purposes of God. I'm not going to change the heading, triumphal entry, but we need to see that there's more going on here than just simply... Waving palm branches and crying Hosanna. There was in the backdrop the grand plan of God for our redemption being played out in these three groups, especially the Pharisees. The crowd's perspective was inaccurate, it was nationalistic, the disciples' perspective was insufficient, they were just simply confused. Much of the time, with what in the world Jesus was doing and how foolish he could be, and the Pharisees' perspective was is downright incensed. Their goal was to kill Jesus and prevent faith in him. What they did not realize, by fulfilling their perspective, by, by bringing their little plot to kill Jesus to prevent faith in him, would actually be God's plan to kill Jesus for faith in him. That's what's being played out in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So we have to ask, what is our perspective on Jesus today? Is it inaccurate? Hey, I believe Jesus' power will give me health, wealth, and a happy life, prosperity. There are many preachers on TV that are preaching an inaccurate perspective of Jesus. Jesus is the one who will come and give you whatever you want. No, Jesus is the one who comes to give us what we need, and what we need is forgiveness. And what we need is peace with God. What we need is Him. Is it insufficient? Yeah, I I think we struggle with an insufficient perspective of Jesus. And I think we might see it in, in, in this way. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I I, I love you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I know you love me and you have a wonderful plan for my life. But, Jesus, why do I suffer? Why do I struggle? Jesus, what on earth are you doing in my life? Is your perspective of Jesus insufficient at times? Is it hostile? Is it in perspective that is incensed, angry at Jesus? Viewing Jesus as a threat to society's progress? Viewing Jesus as a crutch for those weak minded Christians? We need to do everything we can to eradicate faith in Jesus my inaccurate perceptive perspective on seminary you got to laugh at that being more challenging than being a pastor was corrected in time and it didn't take much time of being in the pastorate to correct that thankfully what we can say is that flawed perspectives on Jesus by those who are ordained to be saved will be corrected in time that's a blessing insufficient perspectives characterized by the disciples in our text today will be corrected in time even incensed perspectives on jesus may very well be corrected and i just give one example the apostle paul if if you want to find a pharisee who was incensed angry wanted to eradicate jesus and all of his followers all you have to do is look at the apostle paul and what happened to the apostle paul (laughs) he was ordained to be saved and he was radically converted and that in sense perspective was transformed into an accurate <laughs> perspective like Martha I believe Jesus you are the Christ the son of the living God and today maybe we're struggling with a flawed perspective an inaccurate perspective, an insufficient perspective. There may be someone here who has an incensed perspective on Jesus. Let me tell you this. This is hope. The day of hope is that every flawed perspective for those who are a believer or those who are ordained to become a believer will be corrected by the grace of God. Amen? This text tells us that Jesus made a profound statement That revealed the correct perspective as he entered the city. In verse 14, we read that Jesus found a young donkey. And he was walking for a while towards Jerusalem. But then he found this young donkey and he got on it and rode in the rest of the way. And if you read the text, you might think, well, this is like serendipity. Uh, Jesus (laughs) just kind of stumbled on this donkey. And said, Hey, I, I, I'm tired of walking. I, I, I want to ride. You know, that's not the case. This was all divinely planned. When we go to, to like Matthew chapter 21, Jesus actually pre plans the donkey. He actually sends his disciples to get the donkey and to bring it to him because Jesus was making a statement. Jesus was making a point. By getting on that donkey, he was fulfilling. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, the passage that Brandon read earlier. You may remember that the last two Sundays, Derek's been preaching out of the parables about the kingdom of God. And one of the things that you should have picked up from Derek's treatment of those passages is that the kingdom of Christ is different from any other. And Jesus is saying the same thing by getting on that donkey. He is saying, my kingdom is different than any other. Most of you think that I'm coming, and I should be coming, what, on a war horse. You think I'm coming to raise up Israel again to a great nation. And I'm sure they were bewildered by the fact that Jesus came in on this young donkey. Wait a minute, that's not the temporal king that we thought we were getting in you, Jesus. Where is your war horse? We want a conquering king. A conquering king who will conquer all those nations so we can be a great nation. Like in the days of King David. You know, important people rode on donkeys. So it wasn't unusual for donkeys to be used by important people. And certainly Jesus was important. But when it came to a king, when it came to these perceptions of who Jesus was to be, these expectations of who Jesus was to be, a donkey was the last thing in anybody's mind that Jesus would sit on. He came to fulfill Zechariah 9.9. The crowd wanted a war horse and Jesus on it. The disciples Couldn't figure out what on earth Jesus was doing. Walking and then getting on this donkey. And the Pharisees wanted Jesus to get on the donkey. We're we're fine with that. And we want you to ride right to your death. The disciples probably wanted Jesus to get on the donkey and ride away to his safety. Our Lord rode into Jerusalem on that donkey for one purpose. And it was to show that he's the true king. But he's the true king that comes in humility. Like Zechariah 9 says. He's the true king that comes in righteousness, like Zechariah 9 says. He's the true king that comes bringing salvation like the true king on the donkey in Zechariah chapter 9. He is the king that will come in humility to go to the cross and experience the depth of humiliation, to be buried, but then to rise again from the dead that he would not simply be the cause of resurrection and life, but that he would be the resurrection and the life according to that sign. In John chapter 11, Jesus, riding in on that donkey, riding to the cross eventually, revealed the sign. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, dear friends. The triumphal entry is about celebration. It is about joy. It is about hailing Jesus as our king. Absolutely. But don't miss that it is about the answer to this question. It is saying the crowd got it wrong, the disciples didn't get much of it at all, and the Pharisees were hostile to it. What about you, and what about me? An accurate perspective on Jesus depends on an accurate and faithful and genuine answer to this question that Jesus asked Martha. What is our answer? And may our answer reflect Martha's answer. Yes, Lord, said Martha. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world in humility, riding on a donkey for the purpose of bringing peace, not war by doing everything necessary for the salvation of God's people, including the cross, including the tomb, including the empty tomb. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Father in heaven, I I would ask that if there is anyone here today that is struggling with answering that question, It is a simple question in so many ways, but the most profound question that has ever been asked. And the Lord asked it to Martha, and through the very Word of God, we're being asked that question today. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That if we believe in Him, even though we die physically like Lazarus, we'll be We'll experience everlasting, we'll experience a new life, a life eternal. Father, I pray that you would confirm our answers for many of us, and that you might work redemptively with regards to this answer and those who are struggling with it. Father, I would pray today that there would be a harvest of of righteousness Come upon this congregation. That for people like me who would answer like Martha, that we'd be more strengthened in our faith and trust in Jesus. And for those who are struggling with the answer, Father, that you might do that work that you did in Lazarus to raise them to a new life, that they would be born again, and that they would embrace you as Messiah, the Son of God, the true King who comes riding on a donkey, bringing peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.